Hi, and welcome back to episode 32 of Conversations. I'm here with our team, Caitlin. Hello. And Jessica. Good afternoon. And we're back with our Multipliers Sessions series with the book, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter by Liz Wiseman. As we said before, we're only gonna be touching on the contents of the chapters briefly in a short time frame of an episode. So if you are interested in this information and content, please go buy our book and we will link it in the show notes so you can purchase it and read along with us. Today we are going to be reading chapter two, not reading, we're gonna be talking about chapter two and it's called the talent magnet and it just it talks about the people that are talent magnets who basically attract the best talent in their organizations campuses etc utilize those people to the fullest capacity and get them ready for their next stage in their careers and futures so with that said we're going to jump right in to the first guiding question of our conversation and it is around the page, so again, this book is about her doing case studies of companies over a course of years, studying different types of leaders and what they bring to their teams and organizations. And she talks about in this chapter, at the very beginning specifically, that talent magnets are people who recognize talent, draw them in, and utilize them at their fullest. So in thinking through this content, have you worked for a talent manager before? You don't have to use names if you don't want to. And then how can leaders utilize their workers to the fullest potential based off of your experience? So I, I definitely feel like I've worked for a talent magnet and I've worked for talent managers. Um, when I've worked for talent managers, you know, I think they had some, you know, um, abilities to be magnets and sometimes they use me in that capacity but i do feel like they hired me based on my strengths um, and the skills and my what they call in the book native genius but they didn't necessarily use me in that capacity they let me know hey we know you're really good at these things yeah. but they didn't really give me an opportunity to to use those talents and gifts and rather kind of stuck me doing other things that that didn't allow me um you know, to utilize those gifts. I worked for a, a talent manager and actually had a really wonderful executive leader who sort of took me under her wing um, for a portion of my career before she retired. And she gave me opportunities to participate in projects that I wouldn't normally have had the opportunity to if I had not um, had her kind of recognize my contribution to the work that we were producing. So I think that this is where a lot of managers um, maybe struggle with because you, you know, your job is to manage the processes um, and the people, but if you don't know the people, then it's hard to figure out what their contribution is to two processes. You know, you, you just, are happy that things are getting done and um, as opposed to how they're getting done. So like pulling the curtain back and 
in um, recognizing individual contributions is part of that. And I think it's it's a real struggle because you know with all the demands on a manager's time, yeah. you know it, it's it's like teaching. You know you want to get to know every student, know them by name, strength, and need. Um, but then when you sit back as a teacher, you think, well, gosh, how am I going to do this? Or what are effective ways to do this? So. Um, so I was very fortunate in that way, but I, I can understand why this is a, a tremendous challenge for, for managers. Yeah, and I, I would say, uh, going with what Caitlin said, you know, I think talent magnets are really good about seed dropping, like you were saying, like identifying, hey, you've got some leadership skills or you have potential in these areas. And I will say, I don't, and I think that that's present even K through 12 in classrooms or if you're in college, you'll have a professor tap you and say, have you thought about getting a master after this? You're really good at writing or whatever. Um, I just think that it's so important that talent magnets drop those seeds, but then don't just leave the seed alone. I think there's a time and place for dropping the seed and walking mm -hmm. away, especially if it's not a direct leader anymore that you're dealing with. But then saying like, hey, I think you'd be good here and I think you can contribute in these areas. And like you were saying, Jessica, the balance of doing the work that you're actually supposed to be doing while also refining those skills and helping the organization can also be a challenge. I, I wouldn't say, you know, I've had various seeds dropped by different leaders I've worked for over the years, but to say that each one of them developed those seeds after or watered them, I don't know, again, that I can say there was a lot of that. Um, I think it's probably rare in education because like you said, everyone's getting pulled in a million different directions. Um, but I liked what she said about, are you, are you giving people a meaningful role versus not just a visible one? And that one kind of hit me when I read it because to me, making the people that I lead visible to others and their skills and talents visible to others, I, I thought, or I mean, I don't think it's still bad, but I do think a part of leadership is making, listen how great my team is, look how good my, my these people, my coordinator, my assistant principals, whatever. Look at all their skills, what they're bringing to the organization, and how they're helping others. And so it's just interesting that she's saying to identify there's a difference between the two. Not that visible is bad, but can also make their role meaningful. Like not just the the show ponies of the parade, but also the people who are running the parade. I made the parade analogy, but <laughs> anyways, I just I thought that was really good. It made me think through that. That although it is good to make your team visible, you also have to make sure they're feeling meaningful in their work. Yeah, and, and just kind of going along with what you're saying, like, it's it's one thing to, like, plant the seed, um, but watering it. And then, you know, she says something in there about nothing grows under a bayon tree or bayon yeah. tree. Mm -hmm. um, it's like this old Indian saying. And basically, it's like, you know, it's comfortable in the shade, you know, under, under the shade of a tree. But especially Houston. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's what you need is the sun. Right, you need if the sun is uncomfortable for growth, but it's required for growth. And so, I like that kind of metaphor of you know, you do have to continue pouring into people and developing them. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but that is what we need to take you know, what they call like an A player and, and develop them into an A plus player. Yeah, and I do think too, it just lends itself to the whole leadership model of coaching people and feedback and not just like your appraisal please sign here i do like that we focus on that specifically in our school district that it is, and even our t-test tea appraisal system it's a conversation it's a it's a whole person model versus just like when we all started teaching it was like 
great. I enjoyed coming to your class. You could just sign here. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation. It was very like top-down communication. Mm -hmm. and that's not to say anything against the people that we used to work under. It's just how how our models were back then. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that there's just a bigger push of moving from management to true leadership, servant leadership. Mm -hmm. I love that there's been that shift over the last, I would say, probably decade. Well, I mean, maybe not even that long in some cases, and maybe still, I still see managers, but I do like that just talking about attracting the talent and also utilizing them to the full capacity. So on another page, page 39 specifically, if you own the book, she talks about the quit and stay mentality, which I loved because she talks about um, basically this talented worker in this company named Brian, who's you know, smart, optimistic, collaborative, a great complex problem solver, and essentially just got that continued indifference from his manager who just started to become numb and settle into mediocrity. So she calls this phenomenon quit and stay because basically it's when people become walking dead who roam the halls of so many organizations. So on the outside, they become these zombies that go through their motion, but on the inside, they've given up. And gosh, I'm sure all of us can talk about a time that either we felt that way for a time frame or we have worked with someone that it was clearly uh, evident that they were a quit and stay, they were a quit and stay mentality. So have you witnessed this? What, what does this bring up for you guys? That an empire builder worked to create? Um, and what are the details just around that? Well, it's, I've had experiences like this where, you know, I've had managers who ended up quit and stain, so to speak, um, because, you know, they came in, they were hired because they were just a real dynamo and an innovator, and then the processes and systems in the, within the organization stifled any growth or change. And so I think as an organization, you have to really, you have to be open and flexible and remember why you bring in certain, why you are attracting certain talent, what it is that you want. So what you're selling needs to be what people are getting when they actually arrive in your organization. And it's extremely deflating as a team because once you see your manager sort of quit mentally and you know emotionally, you it permeates the team and it and it brings everyone down and you think, well, gosh, well they're never going to say yes to this. They're never going to listen to our ideas. Um, you know, I guess we just do it the way we've always do it, done it, and and just show up every day. You know, as opposed to, wow, what are we going to get to do today? So I think a large part of that is just as an organization, they, organizations need to really have an honest conversation and say, you know, are we open to innovation? Are we truly open to innovation? What does that mean? Yeah, I... Um in the, uh, the concept of the quit and stay phenomenon um, that an empire uh, builder creates, it kind of made me think about um, the Ron Clark book, Move Your Buzz. And I feel like I might have referenced this in our last session, but um, I just see a lot of parallels with that idea of um, the concept of your A plus people being your runners and then your quit and stay people 
are the riders on the bus, the people who literally just sit in the back of the bus, put their feet up, and just wait for someone else to take them to their destination. And those, to me, those are the quit and stay people who, you know, whether by their fault or you know, their fault, or, their fault yeah. or their leader has allowed them to kind of become stagnant. And um, when the leader doesn't um, pour into them and develop them, or when the leader doesn't show what they want um, that person or, or, or the people in their department to grow into, and that goes back to highlighting or shining a spotlight on the ones who are doing well, you know, and who you want to see more of. So I think that that tends to happen in any, um, whether you're in a school or any company that you're at, you have those people who feel comfortable just putting their feet up and coasting along um, when the leader doesn't really put in the, the time and effort to develop them. Yeah, and I and she makes a good point here that talent magnets, which is what you're not wanting to be, uh, accumulate talent to appear smarter and more powerful. They gloss over the real genius of the people while placing them into boxes on the org chart, which just the whole two sentences makes me cringe. Um, because I think we could, like again, you've either seen examples of this directly. I remember distinctly working for a manager like this once and it's maddening to see like it's the me show actually i worked for two different managers like this where it's the me show and they want to appear smarter they want to appear more powerful and like they're the genius of whatever thing that they're overseeing and as somebody who wants to contribute to the greater good it's maddening to see that especially when you're working on a team and you see other people contributing and they're not getting credit or whatever and i think it's human nature to start to drift towards quit and stay because we all need a paycheck. We, what are we going to do? Get out of education? Like we're all here for a reason. So I think the thing that has saved me from moving into a quit and stay mentality when I maybe have started to like entertain it in the, the far past since I've been inclined, I've been fine, but is to remember your why. Like you're not working, you are working for this person. So if you're under someone and you feel like you're going toward quit and stay mentality, I think the only savior of your mentality, yourself and mindset, is to either A, really a really examine if you can do this for a long time if this person's not going anywhere this is going to be your work environment mm -hmm. if that is if you're done with that b it's remembering your why because your why is not the person you're working for it might be that you really believe in that leader or person your why should be whatever your your purpose is in your career i think that's that can be a saving grace in the mindset of moving towards quit and stay because if you keep that at the center it makes it just puts everything into perspective a little more than like Joe Smith or you know Jill Smith. I'm making up those names; they're not real names for everyone. That person can become so big in your picture of looking at your happiness or your contentment in a job. So I just think that's really important. She doesn't say that, but I just when I look back and I think of those two managers that drove me nuts with the way they ran their teams and what saved me from not. You know, I'm not a mail-in kind of person, but like, what is an actual actionable step someone could take? It's like remembering why you're doing this in the first place. Right. All right. Like in education, it's always going back to, you know, what's best for students and what's right. best, what's going to contribute more to student success and learning. Yeah. Um, and you know, my why isn't to work for, you know, or to please mm -hmm. the, you know. The administrator or whoever it is that I'm working under. My job is to, 
you know, uh, improve learning for students. It's, it's, really, it's a career personal. path. Yeah, so it's right. like the career versus a job. Yeah. Well, everyone has a job, but it's, what's your career? What's your path? What's your purpose? And so you, that's when you reach that kind of that line of like, am I? Do the processes and organization and leadership make me feel like I go to a job, or do they make me feel like I truly have a career in this? And this is, you know, building upon passion that I have. Yeah, I think it can be that personal. It can be a religious. Why, what's your purpose on earth? It can be what's your purpose for your family, your kid, whatever the reason is. All those things we just talked about it doesn't even have to be the main reason that we're all educators is to help kids uh, K through 12. But okay, so talent managers, magnets are the one who ignore. I'm sorry, talent managers. So it's magnets and managers, not getting them. Yeah, magnets are the ones that you want to be you a magnet. You do want to be a magnet. Yes. Everyone ignore my last sentence before that. Bad luck. <laughs> a lot of TMs around here. Talent managers are the ones you do not want to be. No, I'm sorry. You do want to be magnet. You want to be a magnet. You want to talent be a magnet. Magnets are the ones you want to be. You want to attract. You want to attract talent. the talent, everyone. See, I'm making this clear for everybody, right? Um, are the ones who ignore organization charts. And I really like that she talked about this. Because I immediately thought of so many leaders, especially in our system, that have just been so collaborative. And they could be as high up as cabinet members, specifically in our school district. But I always feel like they're like really listening to the people in the room. It doesn't matter what the titles are. Mm -hmm. And I love that she pointed this out because uh, multiplier leaders utilize others from different teams or departments departments while balancing the workflow of the positions. But how can you do that? in a successful way where one thing isn't drowning because of the, the misbalance or imbalance in another area. I mean, I mean we could write a whole book, maybe that's a magic answer. Right. <laughs> well, the culture has to support it. So yeah. you know, obviously you have work charts right. to kind of help manage a conversation flow, it, it, you know, concerning issues around the work that you have. But it doesn't have to, it's, it's not a blueprint for how you should work in your day-to-day -day processes, right? It's just like general guidance. And so kind of like a classroom, right? Like classroom, I plan my own lessons when I'm adhering to the standards and every class is different. But I know that if I need something, I need to go to, you know, my AP or my principal. And, but so the, the culture has to support that idea that everyone has a voice and those voices are valued. And, um, but at the same time, there needs to be, you know, the manager still has to wear the manager hat and, and they're responsible for whatever systems they, they run. But um, I think it's great. I think, um, you know, this organization is really good about soliciting input from others in a really genuine, genuine and authentic way. And there's a lot of opportunities to, to participate in that. And I think that's wonderful that everyone has a voice. Yeah, I would agree. I really feel like, you know, it's it's a sign of a really healthy organization when you have leaders who are open, you know, leaders from various departments who are open to feedback from people who may not directly report to them, or for people who, you know, employees to feel like there are leaders they can go to even if they're not their their you know direct supervisor 
um, but they feel like, oh, this person you know, knows me or this person has some talents that I want to develop. And you know, I think it's a really um, a, a great sign of somebody who is a talent magnet um, or a multiplier when you have a lot of those people in your organization who feel like you know, no matter what the organization chart says or what the umbrella says um, of who you're under or who you're over, that you can work with various people you know. Yeah, and I think that when you look at a team, if they're collaborative and it's hard to tell a meetings who's quote unquote in charge, that can also be the sign of a multiplier. Like it's very difficult sometimes to think, okay, we need to move the work forward. So-and-so is in charge of this role or responsibility, but we need to make sure we get all the perspectives on the team because we're all in this work and really go outside the department or the team, which can be, and this is a whole other conversation, going down the path of can you receive feedback from neutral parties and can can you receive it with open arms or are you going to be offended like well what do you do you don't think my work's good like you don't think we're doing a good job and then being open to those perspectives intentionally as well so she states on page 54 that the research that they did in this book consistently confirmed that diminishers or talent managers cause people or empire builders cause people to operate about 50% of their full intelligence and capability. And I felt this because if I worked for a manager before that was a diminisher, I immediately feel stifled, anxious. Like it, it, I am one of those people that it genuinely affects me if I work for a manager that is, and I'm saying manager on purpose, I'm not even gonna say leader, because if it's a manager that really is diminishing, I do not thrive under that at all. Again, her research showing that basically 50% people only tap in a 50% of their full intelligence and capabilities. So that's a norm. It's a human norm. So have you been in a situation where you operated at that type of capability and intelligence because of a diminisher? And what did that do for you? And how did you get out of that rut? Well, and one of my experiences working for a leader, and it really wasn't wasn't their fault, I don't think. Accidental um, diminisher. Yeah, an accidental diminisher who um, knew my talents and what I what I was good at and what I brought to the team, but um, really didn't have the ability at that time in this person's like leadership journey. Um, I don't think they really knew how to develop those those talents and how to help me utilize them. So I ended up just kind of like, you know, floating along, doing things that I was required to do, um, but feeling the whole time like I know I'm not being utilized um, to the best of my abilities, and I know I'm not even performing to the best of my abilities. And that's because I didn't feel like I was that my my innate you know gifts and, and things that I um, you know did well and the good things that I brought to the team were being used. And I so. think too, it's hard for organizations. And I don't know outside of education because I've never been outside of education. It's hard. So she says removing a highly intelligent employer leader can be difficult, but can have huge payoffs. And I do think. I don't know if it's easier in the corporate world, like I said. I just think it's very tricky because I have heard people say, this leader is so amazing, and then maybe they are not so amazing, but it all depends on where you're at around that leader, if that makes sense. And I've also had conversations with people in the very past, and it's like, 
how can someone know that this person in a leadership position is good or bad if all they see is this side of that person? And unless the people, follow me, the followers of this leader can have a voice outside of just directly reporting to that leader to be able to give feedback on concerns, areas of growth that might be hurting their organization, in our case, it's campuses, then there's no way that they can be successful successful in, you know, in having that person be not removed because that sounds like everybody get your pitchforks and, you know, we're all going to, to go get this person, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's difficult because I think in smaller companies, it might be easier to know if someone is really failing and hurting the organization. But when you get into these mass districts, companies, corporations, it's like those people can easily hide yeah. with the talent of their teams. Well, and I think people, so how do they have the voice to, to tell people like, yeah. hey, y'all, this, this person is not leading our team like, well? Yeah, and it's in the necessary evil. Right? And it's complicated. Like you can't yes. outsource that. I think if yes. you're ever in a position on the team where someone's like, you know, we can't do this without ex without you know her or him, you gotta think about why. Yeah. Why can't we do that? Yeah. You know, is is it because we need to share knowledge and cross train and develop more areas so that we, we're all capable or why is it why are we hinging everything on this one or small group of individuals and i i, I mean it's going to call on leaders to be brave to remove yeah like the example she had and a culture of voice to know about it yeah that's what i was trying to yeah, say to, i was yeah, like all, i was all over the place basically how would you know right and like, yeah you have that the voice. culture of voice and transparency yeah and so and you, I mean, you can look from outside and look at productivity processes too and start poking around but yeah people need a voice and um yeah, she says, if you find a need, then pull them out. And that, that is much easier said than done. Yeah. And, um, but it's very, very brave. And it, it may be as simple as saying, you know what, we're going to put you on this project now, and you, you go work over here, and we're going to keep, and the rest of the team is going to keep going on this. Well, anytime power is involved, too, it clouds the whole process. Yeah. Because followers don't want to report their leaders, because if any part of that process becomes so-and-so came to me and said this, mm -hmm. then, then it makes it a very psychologically unsafe process. And then is that worth the risk to followers? And so I think that even goes to a bigger picture of, is there a transparent communication in the, in the organization to where followers could say, hey, this is a huge problem and you probably can't see this because X, Y, and Z. But then there's a balance and a whole other conversation around well, how does it not turn into, and then she did this, and then he did this, and then, oh, let's look at this leader, and it, it turns into a tattletale situation. Right. I just think there's so much balance around this whole thing, and probably has to be a lot of intentional effort on the organization's part of, like, setting up those processes to where it is a professional situation. I just think that a lot of times, not, I mean, I'm not even saying in education only, there are leaders that get away with, managers that get away with murder because from the outside looking in, you can't tell that they're tied to, you know, the negative parts of performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look at it kind of, I think they eventually get found out, um, you know, if, if you have, you know, leaders above them, their boss, you know, or their, whoever they report to, or someone even above them or whatever, the CEO, the president, whoever, because, um, 
you know, this this kind of chart that they have in the book that that is like a circle of or a cycle essentially of of attraction, right? You have A players, you know, you fully utilize them and grow them, they become A plus players, they get recognized, their their value increases, they're offered more opportunities. Then that leader gets the the reputation of this is a place where you can grow and develop and become better. And then it attracts more A players, right? But the opposite of that is the cycle of decline where people get put in a box or that leader isn't necessarily developing the talent. So instead of being known as a reputation of a place to grow, they're known as a place to die or a place to quit and stay. And then they don't attract those A players. They start attracting B players. And oh, well, you can come work here and get away with you know whatever you want. And I think eventually, you know, someone at the top right. does hopefully see, okay, well, you know, this leader is developing a, more and more A players, and they're attracting more and more A players. This leader isn't necessarily doing that. What can we do to fix it? Yeah, she told a story. That I'm hoping this is the right chapter. I was reading ahead earlier, but of the one person who it might might be the next chapter, but basically. It is the next chapter. I don't want to go too much into it because now I'm getting ahead of myself. But basically, like, everyone described her as a monster, like a bullying monster. So one one person went so far to even say, like, there should be, like, a warning when she's coming in the room, this, this, this manager of this team. And finally, she, like, ended up challenging. They said they got that they got in a yelling match. Is this chapter or is this next chapter? Whoops. Okay, sorry. Well, I'm going to tell a story anyways. They got a yelling match in a meeting and it got louder and louder and like the room had to be cleared and, and then she just challenged like the wrong leader of the company and then she was removed and then she went to a new company as a ceo and was removed within six months and it was just actually pretty promising to read that like in the end these people can't be successful for too long it might be years it could be a decade like i think of one person specifically and it was over 10 years before this person got fired. But in the wake of those 10 years, and I was one of them, with their management style, it just diminished. And I sadly think it was intentional diminishing. Uh, because, you know, being called names, you know, all sorts of stuff, being diminished, personality, et cetera. But um, I just, I, I do think there has to be some kind of communication and open transparency to be able to call out like this is this is hurting the whole organization or our purpose or whatever. So, all right. Well, it was a good chapter. The next chapter is called the Liberator. So we will continue our series next time, and we will put this in the show notes again the book link if you want to purchase it. So thank you, Caitlin and Jessica, for joining the conversation again. And we will quote unquote see you guys next time here to taking our transforming taking our learning to transform the world.